Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Pella Windows and Doors. If you're ready to rock with that spring project with some new windows or some new doors, you can make it happen with Pella. You can go a couple of directions to get the ball rolling. You can schedule a free in-home consultation where you're going to get a Pella expert to come out to your home, discuss your budget, your wants, your needs, and they're going to put a fantastic game plan together that works for you. Or you can check out their showrooms in Lincoln and Omaha. Great place to get the ball rolling as well. Turn your window and door remodeling dreams into a reality with the good people at Pella. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. Well, it is back the Reuben Runza is officially back at Runza. It's everything you love about a Reuben wrapped up inside the greatness of a Runza sandwich. Talking corned beef, Reuben sauce, sauerkraut, Swiss cheese, all inside the deliciousness of a Runza sandwich. So get out and take advantage of the new menu item. The Reuben Runza. Runza makes it all better. All right, on the line now is uh, Bruce Rasmussen, and God, it it still feels weird to say former Creighton Athletic Director Bruce Rasmussen because, Ras, I still see you at every game. Uh, you're making your rounds. You're talking to people. You're still visible. Like, have you? First of all, have you missed a, a home game this year or have you gone to every one? I've been to every home game this year, uh, but, uh, you know, it's my family. Yeah. And, and you don't you don't leave your family just because you're not getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> So what's it been like though? I mean, what, what's what's it been like? You think about you know the 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 retirement and spending more time with your wife and your kids and all that. What's what's it been like now that you've actually gotten into the next kind of step and stage into your life? Well, frankly, I never looked at it as retirement. You know, that's one of those general words that people use. But Nick, you've seen that illustration of the big jar and they put big rocks in it and they say, "Is it full?" Yeah. And you, know, you go, no, you can put some little rocks around it. And they say, is it full? No, you can put some sand around it. But the, the, the moral of the whole illustration is you, you can't put the big rocks in unless you put them in first. And you try to determine what the big rocks in your life are. And obviously your job is one of those. But you also hope that family and friends and fitness and faith uh you know, and continual growth are all in that, they would all be considered big rocks. And it, some of it was my own fault, but the, the big rock of the athletic director position at Creighton really pushed out a lot of the others that should be big rocks. I wasn't able to spend as much time with my family. In fact, very little time with my family. Uh, not as much time with my friends as uh, I would like to because of the people you had to meet with mm -hmm. uh, 
you didn't get to spend as much time with the people you wanted to meet with. Uh, my fitness was, uh, had taken a real backseat. You know, I used to tell people I feel a lot better than I look. <laughs> uh, you know, I used to laugh when I said, when somebody say, well, fitness working out is walking. And for people my age, uh, walking is working out. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, uh, so when you're around the Creighton, I've been at Creighton, had been at Creighton for 42 years, and it is family. I never looked at it like I'm going into work. Right. I'm going to see my second family. And in a lot of ways, I spent a lot more time with my second family than my first family. But as my kids, I've got five kids in this day, spread out geographically. <clears throat> I got three in Arizona and one in Montana. And uh, you wanted to see your family more. Uh, I wanted to see my friends more. I wanted to uh, take care of my health a little bit more. You know, as I see people that are 75 and 80 and 85, you see a pretty good decline unless they're obsessed and intense about taking care of their fitness. Mm -hmm. And I have been able to um, spend more time with my family, spend more time with my friends, you know, spend more time working out. Uh, I've spent more time in, in uh, every day I have Bible study for a while. But the other part of it was there are so many not-for-profits. There are so many entities that are tremendous and necessary. And I was on a number of boards, but in a way tangentially, yeah. you know, not as much as you'd like to be. You know, what Josh Dotzler is doing in Abide, uh, you know, you want to be more involved, you couldn't. Stevens Center in South Omaha, FCA. Uh, Salvation Army with DJ's Heroes, um, Nebraska Greats Foundation, uh, and then Names, Images, and Likenesses has really taken uh, a much more prominent position in athletics. So I've been involved with helping uh, Creighton uh, establish a not-for-profit uh, not and LLC for Names, Images, and Likenesses. I've been more involved with the Nebraska Greats with the Stevens Center, with Abide. So my days have been filled right. uh, with all of those things. Uh, wh what's a little bit different, frankly, is at night, uh, I used to be out to dinner or somewhere pretty much every night. And uh, now I'm spending more time at home with my wife and I'm finding out how bad just regular TV is, you know. <laughs> If you don't have Netflix or you don't have a basketball right. game on, there's not a lot. There isn't. No, there's not. That's, that's a great takeaway from it being home. I love it. Yeah, I figured you're a guy that you know you 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 love to stay busy. You you truly are a you're a selfless person. So I figured you'd be keeping yourself busy with all those sorts of things. Uh, but it's been fun to see you at the game still. I, I it's all you're always my our, our little five minute conversations before every game are some of my favorite little talks we have. You know, it's just it's great. And you know, it's it's funny, Ras, as we kind of reflect now on on the regular season being done. I know you and I, we would have little conversations early on in the year, like, boy, this this team's got a ways to go. They're young. It's it's going to be a work in progress. And of all the Creighton teams that might, in, might end up making the NCAA tournament, this has to be high on the list of, I don't want to say improbable because that's maybe a little like disrespectful to the to the players, but man, I just, I remember leaving that SIU Edwardsville game in particular and thinking where Creighton had to rally late to, to win that game and thinking, boy, this it's going to be a good year if, if Coach McDermott can get him into the NIT, sneak him into the NIT. And, and here we are, 20 and 10 and 12 and 7 in the Big East. 
You know, uh, what I think this is Greg McDermott's best coaching performance of his career. What say you? What stood out to you watching Greg McDermott kind of navigate this season? Well, I've watched Greg McDermott for, what, 30-some years, and I've always felt he was one of the better coaches in the country because uh, at the college level, there has to be the right relationship between the head coach and the players. You're not going to be successful, and it isn't just this way in basketball. It's this way in life. You're not going to be successful in basketball if all you do is a practice you go to practice you show up 15 minutes early you do what you're asked of in practice you stay 15 minutes late and then you and then you do other things you're not going to be successful that way basketball you need to find what what you do in practice it's a minimum job description you find out at practice what you need to work on and then you with intentionality and focus and intensity you go outside of practice and work on those things and in order to have a team do that there has to be a great relationship between the coaching staff and the players and mac has always been that way and uh, if you look back a number of his teams have overachieved yeah uh, there's a there's a verse in the Bible that says a prophet is least appreciated in his hometown. And I say that about coaches. Uh, Coach Altman, when he was there, uh, had more credibility nationally. And he's certainly shown that since he's left. But Coach McDermott, when you look at what he's done throughout his career, OK, when he came in. Uh, and Dana left and, and you were aware of that situation. Oh, yeah. You know, and a lot of people said, well, we got lucky. His son saved him. Well, it took more than a son. And Doug was unusual. But Grant Gibbs wouldn't be here without Mac. Jahens Manigay wouldn't have stayed without Mac. Yeah. Antoine Young wouldn't have stayed without Mac. Ethan Raggy was going to transfer to Minnesota, you know. Right. Uh, but Mac did a great job putting that team together when it could have fallen apart. And we were top 15. All of those kids left <clears throat> a couple years later with a completely different roster. We're 19 and two. When Mo Watson went down, we are going to be a two seed, three seed at the worst. Right. Mo Watson goes down with a completely different team with Mo, with Marcus Foster, with Zach Hansen, with uh, Kyrie Thomas. And that crew all left. And then we get Mitch Ballack, uh, Marcus Zagorowski, Tyshawn, uh, yeah. Mahoney. Damian Jefferson, yeah. a completely different group. Right. And we're beat 16 with that group. And now we lost basically our top seven scores, our top returning Sharif Mitchell really hasn't played. So we really lost our top eight. Right. Uh, and uh, in a, at a time in basketball where the message is get old and stay old. Mm -hmm. And if you looked at the sweet 16 teams last year, uh, <clears throat> there were 80 starters, okay? 80% of those starters in Sweet 16 teams last year were juniors or seniors. We were a good example of that, right. okay? In the Big East, if you take Creighton out, we lost our entire starting lineup, okay? If you take Creighton out, 80% of the, of the players in the Big East last year returned. So we're not only at a time nationally where it's get old and stay old, 
in the Big East, we were get old and stay old. So to have Creighton win five road games in the Big East, to have Creighton win 12 games in the Big East where we played an unbalanced schedule yep. and played 10 road games and only nine at home where a Providence uh, was the beneficiary the other way, to finish in the top four in our league and to have 12 wins is just amazing yeah. with three freshmen and a sophomore playing predominant roles and with the injuries that we've had this is a i'm not sure it's coach Mack's best job but it is a tremendous example to everyone who didn't already know it right. how good a coach coach mcdermott is yeah you know, it's a that's a great summation and it the interesting thing to me is you know the, the we talk about the creighton culture and the creighton way and ultimately those are those are just you know it, they're handed on to people and then they hand it on to the next group. What's interesting about this year is all the new, where you have two new coaches, you you pointed out all the, the brand new guys on the roster and yet the culture, it still felt the same and it still looked the same. Yeah. And I guess a lot of that has to probably go to Greg McDermott because he's probably the one constant with, with all that. But I think it's just an interesting case study in culture, right? Like, of of how that that can continue to get passed down even with so much turnover when you got a guy that as you pointed out I think Greg McDermott's greatest strength is his a lot of people point out his offensive acumen and all those things his greatest strength is his ability to connect with people and I'm sure that probably is what's on full display here I I would I couldn't agree more and what I think his biggest strength is he gets people to believe they're better than they are. And that's amazing. If you have a belief in yourself and your teammates, even if that belief is somewhat not necessarily backed up by, by <laughs> people, but right. the big factor, but, and it isn't just Mac, it's his entire staff. But right. I've always said this. If you, the best way to have the culture that you want is to recruit or hire. It's much easier to hire the right culture or to recruit the right culture than it is to change people to fit a culture. Yes. To, you know, to give right. you a good example of that, uh, Ryan Hawkins is a perfect fit for our culture. Okay, It isn't just his basketball talent. It is his culture. Alex O'Connell, you know, when kids transfer or when you have freshmen, mm -hmm. and I've talked to a number of coaches about this, and and let's start with Jay Wright. For years, Jay Wright never played as freshman. Look at all of the people that he has, all the former players that are, that are in the NBA that set out the freshman year. Brunson, Archie Diacono, DiVincenzo. Yep. I mean, you can go down, right down the list. Uh, Bridges, Bridges, those set out a year. There was, it isn't just that they were older. There's another factor there. And let's look at the one-time transfer and the negative impact. There's a lot of positives about one-time transfers, but high school seniors and transfers choose a school for selfish reasons, okay? Mm -hmm. If you're a high school senior, you're choosing a school that's got, you know, you think it's a great place for you to play, but there's a role for you and you're going to have a role that you like. You're going to have a system that you like. Those are selfish reasons. Same with the transfer. You don't leave a school and go somewhere else except for your first thought is, what does it mean to me? Yep. And what Jay Wright said, and I've talked to Dana Altman, you look at Nebraska, I think they're going through some of the same things is the first year a player is in the program. The name on the back of the jersey means more than the name on the front. Right. And 
got to get those people to play and to be a willing participant to play a role that's not necessarily the role they want to play, but it's for the betterment of the team. And, uh, you know, like talking to Coach Altman, you know, in the past, he's been very successful with transfers, but they had to sit out a year. And during that year, while they started out being selfish, they developed friendships and relationships on the team and better friendships and relationships with their coaches. And all of a sudden, it wasn't just about them. It was about the family. But you've got to recruit people who family uh, relationships are big, and that's Coach McDermott. But you look at Ryan Hawkins. He was all about relationships and family, and there's a maturity. Alex O'Connell this year, but in a way he sat out a year ago, yep. you know, yep. now all of a sudden it isn't just about Alex. He's doing what's best for the team. And you're seeing some teams that struggle with first year transfers. Nebraska is one of those mm-hmm. teams that's and much better now than they did early in the year. And you know why it isn't just that Fred is, is doing some things, but it is that those players now care about each other. Right. Where early in the year, it was more about me, not about us. Right. And um, so I think that uh, Mac, with the two tran- with the transfers, first of all, they were character recruits as much as talent. Okay. You asked Ryan Hawkins why he didn't go Division One out of high school. He said, I wasn't good enough. Right. You know? Right. So he, Hawkins has been great for us. He is talented. Mm-hmm. But it isn't his talent that has made him a better player. Alex O'Connell is very talented. It isn't his talent or uh, Fazell, you know, yep. his culture. And a lot of it had to do with those kids before they came here. But it's magnified by the way the coaching staff treats the players. Yep, that's a great answer. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella. Won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. I want to. I want you to get back into. I mean, obviously, you were on the NCAA tournament selection committee. You were the chair of the NCAA tournament selection committee. I want you to get back into that mode and Creighton becomes a team that that gets discussed and you don't have to leave the room, Russ. You get to stay in the room right now. What how do you see Creighton? Because right now, as of this morning, they got a net of sixty-five. They have five quadrant one wins, a uh, big win over Villanova, swept Yukon, swept Marquette, but obviously they have this Nemhard injury. Take people behind the scenes of kind of how you think Creighton is kind of getting discussed in with all of those factors being being weighed. Uh, I mean, it, I, I don't want to speak for this year's committee because obviously uh, the the only committee members that were on the committee when I was are now uh, fourth and fifth year committee members. Right. 
So you don't want I don't want to speak for the committee. Sure, the other sure. dynamic that's changed is the committee now has 12 members. When I was on the committee, there were 10. But the first mistake that people make is they treat quadrant one like quadrant one. All quadrant one wins or losses are the same or quadrant two, that they're all the same. The the quadrant system is only met meant for sorting, not for selection. And so if you look at quadrant one, a win against Villanova, who I think right now has got like a six or seven net, yep. people look at it as the same as, as a win against, uh, you know, um, a Boise, yeah. who's 30. A win at home against Villanova is different than a win at home against Boise. They're both quadrant one wins. So you can't just look the committee. I mean, nationally, I understand what the dialogue is. You only have so many minutes uh, or so many sound bites or, or whatever. And so you tend to do the Reader's Digest version and you say, okay, they got this many quadrant one wins or this many quadrant two or the record in quadrant one and quadrant two are this. The committee doesn't talk that way. Okay. I mean, you start that way because it's a good sorting mechanism. It gives you a starting point. But anybody that thinks all quadrant one wins or all quadrant two wins are the same is mistaken. And so you've got to get more down into the weeds. You know, a road win against Virginia, who's got a, uh, a, a had a net of like 76 or 77, is not the same as a road win at Abilene Christian, which is 134. They're both quadrant two. Right. They right. are not the same. Right. So what I did when I was on the committee is I sliced it a lot more. I said, if you were, um, if you won a game at home against the top team in the country, you got 30 points. If you won it, it was neutral. You got 50. And if it was on the road, you got 75. If you won a quadrant two game, you know, I mean, you, 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 you I, and I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong numbers, but I, it was, um, but I sliced it down per slot. So if yep. you won a game against the number two team, you got one less point than you did if you beat the number one team. That makes sense. And so you slice the onion a lot deeper, yes. and it really puts more value on each team instead of saying, well, all quadrant one wins are alike. Uh, Gonzaga is at, was number one in the net. Yep, they are. Yep. And I think that uh, – Boise was 30 in the net. Those two wins aren't the same. Right. And in our league, uh, Nova, UConn is a 19. To yep. win at, at, on the road against you uh, against UConn is a lot different than winning on the road against the 75th best team in the country by net. And yet they're counted the same by a lot of people. They're both quadrant one wins. Right. So you have to look at it more. But from a Creighton standpoint, and I certainly – haven't followed bracketology. You take a Tim Kruger, he's looked at it a lot yep. more than I have. So is Joe Lenardi. But you can't just look at quadrant one record or quadrant two record. You have to peel the onion a lot, a lot closer. That's interesting. So in our league, to say we've we have uh, won both games against Marquette. You know, we've won. Uh, now we got beat by 
Xavier. We got beat by Seton Hall, but we won both games against UConn. We split with Nova. Those are not just quadrant one wins or quadrant two wins. Those are more valuable. And so I'd like to think that Creighton is in. But I also get real nervous because as you look at conferences, you're saying in the last few years, there have been very few bid stealers. Okay, but will this be one of those years where there are more? And by that, you mean, okay, first of all, there's 32 teams that uh, automatically are in. They win, they win their conference, okay? And then there's another 25 or so that are in no matter whether they win the conference tournament or not, you know? And in our league, UConn and Villanova and Providence are in whether they win the conference tournament or not. Uh, you'd like to think that Seton Hall and Xavier and Marquette and us are also in, but to a certain extent, it depends on what happens in other conferences. So you look at other conferences and you say, okay, who could potentially win their conference that wouldn't be in without winning their conference? There's a good game today. It's yep. a good yep. Drake Loyola. Yep. Okay, now I would love for Drake to get in because of Darren DeVries, but if Drake gets in, Loyola's probably gonna get in anyway. That's gonna take one of those at large bids away from somebody and is this going to be a year where it happens in a number of conferences so well i would say if everything ended today we are in but how many how many conference tournaments either somebody's going to play their way in you know or potentially play their way out uh and in a number of conferences where somebody has is going to get in whether they win their conference tournament or not is somebody going to get in that shouldn't and so uh, yeah there's a lot i'd like to think we've done enough to get in but this next week with conference tournaments you just root for the favorites right (laughs) yeah well even last night was at murray state there's a lot of a lot of teams rooting hard for murray state in in the ohio valley championship game last night and they came through like to your point and i'm curious can you take me into the committee room a little bit about injuries and about Nemhard, you know, Nemhard now yeah. being out and what just kind of, I think there's a lot of people that try to per, predict what is being said in the room. What's being said in the room when you're, when you're dealing with a significant injury, because I don't think you want to, I mean, it has to be considered, but it can't, uh, you, you can't weigh too yeah. much on then what they look like without that player too. So it's a weird balance. Well, and again, it's an interesting dynamic, and it's great, and I don't want to speak for the committee. When I was on the committee, we looked at injuries from the standpoint of there's a difference between earning your way into the tournament, and then the seeding is is a little bit more of a prediction, where the the getting into the tournament's a little bit more results-oriented. And, uh, you know, so what you're doing is saying, should be in based on results and but with Nemhart not being there it may affect your seating got it and okay let me give you an example that i gave to john calipari a few years ago when he was asking why kentucky wasn't seated better and i said the 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 committee's responsibility is to treat every game the same whether it would take place in november or whether it took place in march and there are a lot of reasons for that and that's like if a drake gets to play iowa early in the year you don't want to discount that win that drake has against iowa because it took place in november and Iowa's playing a bunch of freshmen you know yep. uh, so 
uh, I use the golf analogy and say you your handicap in golf is determined by your 20 scores. The score that you had first on your handicap is, counts just the same as the, the 20th score. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, and so you have a handicap based on those 20. When you do results oriented, the, your results are based the game you play in November is just as important as the game you play in March. And, um, but when you get into predictive, you say, okay, Creighton wasn't very good in November, but as the year went on, because they were playing freshmen, they're a lot better. So I would predict Creighton being different now than they were in November, even though that result in November counted the same. So again, to use a golf analogy, if I shot, uh, 80 in the first round of a four round tournament. And yet the last round I shot 65. Those four rounds all count the same. Every stroke you took on Thursday counts the same as the one on Sunday. Sunday yeah. But if your handicap, Nick, is 12, but a month ago it was 20, but you took some lessons and it's kicking in. And my handicap is 12, but a month ago it was eight and I got the yips <laughs> and I can't make a putt over six inches. Right. We'll have a 12, but if we played each other, I would pick you to win. Okay, that's predictive. Got it. Uh, so the committee's going to talk a lot about with the injuries, you can't project. The more, the more a team plays without a player, the better picture you get of, of that team. Right. Okay, so if it's one game, it's hard to say. But as you see four or five or six games, you've got a better idea as to what how the team is without it. That will impact seeding. Yep. Now, again, for Creighton, the UConn win was big. Huge. The fact that the fact that we played Seton Hall a one-possession game is big because right. it shows Seton Hall is going to be a obvious NCAA tournament team. So is UConn. The fact that we played those teams the way we played them without Nemhard will be discussed by the committee. I don't think it'll make a difference on whether we get in or not. It may make a little bit of difference with seeding. And the fact that we lost the games, a couple of the games, is not as critical as who we were playing and how the game went, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. That, that makes perfect sense. Do you – a couple more things, we'll let you run, Ras. Do you – what are your thoughts on the net? I mean, because it's – uh. I, I, I like it to a certain extent. I also think I think it's clear. I've had some people ask me, hey, why is why is Creighton's net uh, you know, not very high? It's at 65 right now. And I said, you know, a lot of it comes back to how you fare in some of those non-conference buy games. Like I think one of the things Creighton Creighton had to grind to beat Kennesaw State and SIU Edwardsville and Southern Illinois and and you know, they didn't hammer those teams. Whereas in Iowa, for instance, they they crushed all of their non-conference buy games and that kind of can can make the net go up and down a little bit. It was funny, I was talking to a coach and they brought up a point and say, you know, with the net, we might have to start telling these teams when we do a buy game, like, hey, if we're up twenty with five minutes left, we're not gonna call off the dogs. We're gonna probably try to win the game by thirty instead of, you know, taking out the starters and all of a sudden it ends up being a twelve point game because that impacts the net. Am I way off on that? How do you kind of how do no. what are your thoughts on the net? No, I was on the committee when the net was generated. The RPI, people learned how to manipulate the RPI. 50% of your RPI was based on your one lost record. And it didn't make any difference who you played or where you played. And another 25% 
was your opponent's one-loss record. It didn't matter who they played or what they played. So 75% of your RPI was determined on people's records without strength of opponent or location of game. The net has done a better job with that, but the I think the biggest flaw in the net is margin of victory. Yeah. And uh, and the 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 net is is an evolving document, and every year there's been some adjustments. But what I think a lot of people don't understand is when the committee is in the room, they don't just have the net. They have KPI, they have uh, Ken Palm, yep. they have BPI, they have all of those. And what they do is they look at, they'll look at all of those and they'll look at outliers and they'll say, why is this team 65 in the net, but 40 in KPI? And then they'll discuss why they think that there's a, a difference in, in those analytics. And all the analytics are good, but all of them have some flaws to a certain extent. And again, when I was on the committee, I argued for uh, to put much more emphasis on the quality of team you play and the location of the game, because the hardest thing to do in sport is to win on the road, and especially in college basketball. The winning percentage of college basketball teams at home is higher than in the NFL, than in college football, than in Major League Baseball, than college baseball, than in the NHL, or in then college hockey. Uh, and it, I think it's because of the officiating, because you can reach out and touch an official in men's basketball where there's a barrier in football, right. in baseball, in hockey. So road wins are critically important. And the committee recognizes that even though the analytic may not. So the, the road wins, when you show an ability to win on the road, that says something about your culture and it says something about your team. And so the, I think the biggest flaw on the net is margin of victory. And when I, when we were developing the net, one of the things that I wanted them to put in and I'm not a computer programmer, so, <laughs> yeah. but what well, is game control? Because, yep. for instance, to your point, if you're playing a team and you're up 20 at half, and then at the last five minutes of the game, and you're up 20 the whole game, in the last five minutes, you put in your walk ons, and it ends up being a nine point game. Right. That's a lot different in game control than you're playing Villanova and you're down two with a minute left, you're a one possession game. They hit a three, you're down five. You come down quick, you take a quick three, you miss it. They rebound, you foul it. And all of a sudden it's a nine point game. And it was one possession for 38 minutes of the game. By a lot of analytics, those two games are considered the same by the analytics, but they're completely different. So again, you have to get into the weeds, but I think game control is big. And I do think with the net, the biggest flaw in the net is, and I think there are two, but one is margin of victory and the other is location of game. Yeah. Location of game and margin of victory. Margin of victory is given too much credence and location of game is not given enough. And I do think that the committee recognizes that. And that's why the net is a, is a sorting tool. Quadrant one and quadrant two are sorting tools. But when they start peeling the layers on the onion, they'll talk more about that kind of thing. Last thing, we'll get you out of here, Ras. I'm curious, and I, and this uh, this next topic is not meant to be. Let's let's have Bruce Rasmussen and Nick Baugh kick Nebraska basketball and criticize them right now. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just I, I want to get your observations on Nebraska basketball 
from afar. Like, I'm curious, as one of the best basketball athletic directors ever, someone who is a basketball guy, not just this year and in the now, but really even zooming out over the course of the last, you know, 10, 20 years, what, what have you, I guess, just take me in your thoughts as you've kind of watched from 50, 60 miles away, because certainly there have been some struggles. They're well-documented. Uh, you know, Trev Alberts made the decision to bring back Fred Hoiberg, uh, and they're going to you know, probably revamp some things. But again, I'm, I want to make it clear. We're not, I'm not trying to you know, say, hey, let's criticize yeah. Nebraska. I just wanna, I, I'm just curious as someone that, that has been, on, been inside and understands what it takes from, at an administration level to help a basketball program flourish. What's your, what, give me your thoughts on what you've seen from Nebraska basketball. Well, this year, uh, they definitely have talent, but it's like putting the pieces of a puzzle together. And it isn't just you can have great pieces to the puzzle. They have to fit. And you have to figure out a way for it to fit. And you, first of all, I still think, okay, let's take football. It's dominated by the quarterback. Okay, Mm -hmm. Now, you have to have a great offensive and defensive line to be outstanding, but The quarterback position is important. In baseball, the pitcher is so important. And in basketball, the point guard is. And Nebraska has taken a a guard this year that was an off guard, not Mm -hmm. a point guard. And they've made him a point guard. Early in the season, they really struggled because of it. But Verge has gotten so much better as the year's gone on. And because of that, uh, they're playing a lot better, but also they're playing, as I talked to earlier, they're playing more as a team. Nebraska's playing a lot better right now than their record, but it's because they're not just thinking about themselves. They've got relationships, and it's obvious when you watch them play that they've got relationships with each other. So I think, you know, uh, and again, there was a time when it to build your program and have a primary cog be transfers was it was easier to be successful because they had to sit out for a year and they learned the system for a year. They learned the culture for a year. Alex O'Connell is a good example of that. Mm -hmm. It's harder now with transfers because they can play right away. And I think as the year has gone on this year, Nebraska is playing much better right now than they played at any time during the year. But again, I just think over and when I first came to Creighton, the head coach was so dominant. And even when Dana Altman was here and you played for coach yep. Altman, he dominated practice. He dominated everything, the recruiting and practice and everything. And the rules have changed and the game has changed that you can be a pretty average coach. If you have the right staff, you can be successful. And as, as I've told people, you can be a pretty average athletics administrator when you have a great staff. You can prop up even a dirtbag from Iowa. I've done that for 27 years, you know? So your staff is so much more important than it used to be. And so what you do with the staff, whether it's football or basketball, what you do with the staff has to fit your culture and it has to fit your university. So example in football, a staff that might have been successful at Central Florida may not be successful at the Big Ten because of the geography and the conference and the culture at Nebraska that's necessary to win. The same in basketball. And so while hiring the head coach is critical, it's also critically important that you have the right staff that fits your culture and fits the pieces together. And I'm not sure in hindsight, you know, hiring is inexact, but I'm 
in hindsight, if you'd say that Nebraska has been real successful at doing that. Right, right. Bruce Rasmussen, great answer, great stuff as always. Uh, are you going to be in New York? Are you going to be? Are you going to be for there for the biggest tournament? Are you going to watch it at home from your couch? What's your plan? Well, first of all, when you're my age, Nick, you're not sure where you're going to be tomorrow. (laughs) I hope to be in New York, and I hope to be wherever it is the Jays go. Okay. Uh, So, and I hope to see you. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Raz, I appreciate your time so much. This was awesome. Uh, Hopefully, we'll see each other in New York, pal. Okay. Take care. Thanks. Thanks, Raz. A Huda Media Production.